he tackles me to the ground, flips me over, like uh, one hand on the neck, the other with his fist up. His knee is like on my chest. I'm crying like a little bit. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. What was your boy doing at this time? They were gone. Dude. Okay, so how much money did you get from the settlement from I, the cop? It's a cruiser. I love it, dude. Cruiser, baby. Not a longboard. There's a difference. Dude, okay? that's how, this is a cruiser. That's how we know you're like a real boarder, dude. The longboard, the longboard's a little bit too much, I will Listen, say. You're going downhill on the longboard, like doing 50. Yeah, like then there's then there's a exactly. reason. Exactly. Mickey Barrow, what up? What's up, dude? I'm loving your attire, man. I usually see you in like um maybe like more formal attire, right? You know what? It's funny because a lot of the uh, like I have some some comic friends on uh, shows that I do. Yeah. And and one of them saw me skating like past you. No way. They're it's like, like, no way. That's yeah. Mickey. They're like, that doesn't make sense. That's not that's not what he wears. So Mickey came in here with a skateboard, like a legit skateboard, the kind of skateboard that you do kickflips on the way over here. Maybe Ollie over the curb. I, you know, we 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 scratch. I have a skate page called Never Ollie though, because I'm old and I can't. Oh, uh, uh, okay. Now, so I got a, I got sense. a different style, but I used to uh, I used to be. Pretty good. I used to get that get water's free all stuff. You. Did Perfect. you uh, like skateboard to school every day? You and I briefly nah, talked nah, about we, that. Nah, nah, but we, me and my friends were so obsessed with skateboarding that we would wake up at 6.30 in the morning and go skate before school. Wow. Which is insane. I'm an all-night person. To do that now, the insaneness of that is it's stupid. Where'd you grow up? I'm Long Island. Okay, so there was like a skateboard park near your town no, well we got a skate park built because we the cops would harass us oh damn our whole lives i got beat up by a cop would you just go to schools and like jump the staircase well and we, stuff? Were, we were behind an, uh, an office building and there was like a picnic table so we were skating off the picnic table and um and the cops came and and we were used to like having the cops around right because everyone would call the cops we were loud skateboarders whatever and um and there was a janitor who said Oh no, you could skateboard here. It's fine, and we're like, we knew we should. But he's like the complete opposite too. Like when I watch skate videos, there's always some guy running after you guys. The, like, well, you can't skate here. Exactly, but I don't know. The janitor was being cool, but the yeah. people in the office called the cops. So the cops pull up. It's me and two buddies, and uh, and he's like, you guys can't skate here, and we're like, no, but the janitor said we can skate How here. How old are you? I was thirteen or. I was in eighth grade. Right after your bar mitzvah or what? Yeah, yeah. Nah, nah, I didn't, I didn't do the bar mitzvah. I did a year of Catholic school, a year of Jewish. Okay. Jewish, needed all the gods to, <laughs> yeah, to that's get familiar. <laughs> but um, nah, so, we, um, so we're there. The cops are like, you guys got to go. We're like, someone said we could skate here. He pulls us up into the office building. They're like, no, you guys can't skate here. What are you talking about? We come back down and we're about to leave and we start skating away. And like a smart ass, I, I'm like, we all share the air, man, to the cop. And he just starts chasing after me. That's a hilarious thing to say. Also. Yeah, I, it's also like, they, we and all he share. And he chased after you after that? <laughs> and he was pretty Ooh. fat. So I'm like, I was young. I don't know why. And I you couldn't. had a skateboard. And I had a skateboard. But he, he tackles me to the ground, oh. flips me over, like uh, one hand on the neck, the other with his fist up. His knee is like on my chest. I'm crying like a little bitch. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. What was your boy doing at this time? They were gone. Right. <laughs> they ran away. They, got away. They, were, they were gone. They were in the field like, like I don't know, 300 yards away. And I'm like crying like such a baby. I'm like, no, please don't do it. Okay, this. so how much money did you get from the settlement from I, the cop? None, dude. None? None. None. Which is... Did you, you know, try? Did your parents try and do anything I, like press dude, charges? Like a nice white boy, I told my dad. Yeah, he, and he's like, you probably deserved it. No, no, he made some calls, and but nothing, nothing, nothing ever came of it. No, but that's that was like the impetus for us going to build a skate park. That took three years, and then we got it when we were in eleventh uh, grade. Okay, we, so we got that the works. Skate park. Yeah, good, good trade off. Do you ever watch that show, Life with Life of Ryan, the Ryan yeah, Sheckler yeah, documentary? It wasn't really a documentary; it's like reality show. Bro, I loved that show. Dude. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, Ryan Sheckler, still yeah. a legend, but I'd say when he was thirteen years old, he was he more so of a legend. He got so much hate in the skate community for that. Skateboarders, they thought he was the biggest loser. Really? Like, wow, what a loser! He's crying on TV. And if you watch like interviews of him now, there's a big podcast called The Nines Club, uh, which is a big skate. It's probably the biggest skate podcast. He went in and he was like, man, I was a kid. I just I didn't really know. And I look back on it and it was so manipulative what the people from MTV were doing, trying to 
you know, basically stir shit in my yeah. family. Yeah, and I remember that even that personal stuff, his relationship with girls, and then yeah, his family because his yeah, parents dude. got divorced. I guess not because of that show. Or no, maybe but it, it was, was all kind of, kind of, of in it. line, and they yeah. would they would kind of prop him to like, you know, start drama, start drama, and yeah. get him all emotional because it's it's a reality drama, right? Yeah, he was like one of the first kids that I guess was really affected by reality TV, like solely, you know, in a totally. negative way. And everyone knew him, like in our generation, at least. I mean, that was a huge show. Yeah, he was a, a like you know super well known. But he talks about it now that it took ten years to like repair. Even though he's one of the he was one of the best skaters at the time, it took ten years for him to repair that kind of riff in the skate community because of uh, that show. And I guess people just thinking he was being a whatever so do you think Crazy. rob deerdeck now is like one of the more influential skateboarding people more so than tony hawk uh, you know rob rob he just li- runs mtv listen anyone there was a big thing that just came out on his show and, and the work environment but i think anyone who uh, he was trying to union bust basically they were trying to form a union the people on his show especially during the strikes whatever but i got respect for rob i got respect for tony hawk because these are two guys that showed the world that skateboarders are not just you know just kind of skate rat you know you know fuck the culture we're gonna do our own thing rebellious like they're like we might be all that but we could also get rich and i think that kind of changed the mindset of a lot of skateboarders. you know a lot of people are like oh sell out or whatever but you know these are guys that showed that skateboarding's big it showed that you can become successful in this industry beyond just your skating and um I mean, Rob is probably a better example because Tony was the best skater in the world, right? He was a legend. 900. 900 back in the day, right? And then, but Rob, Rob was great. He was a pro, but he wasn't like the top pro. He just knew how to, you know, create a concept show around his life, Robin Big, which was the best, dude, the best. And then kind of built that production company up from there and now owns Street League Skateboarding, which is, you know, the biggest contest. You know, I think they started that. It's the biggest contest circuit in skateboarding. I think every show he's put out has been a banger and like, I'll still follow him on social media, but it's interesting because the life of Ryan or life with Ryan, what was it? Life of Ryan. Okay. So that show kind of, I mean, you were saying that skateboarders really didn't like what he was doing because it was just like the first thing and people didn't even really know what to expect with reality TV. Right. And then here's Rob who comes in. He was like a 16 year old pro. But then a few years later, he just got into the mix and like really was good at marketing himself. But, but also it was just kind of a dope show. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was also like, like funny, had a good aspect. Exactly. For those was, of you who don't know yeah. what we're talking about, What? Go back and watch it. But, but anyway, it was uh, Rob Deerdeck and his bodyguard. They just had like a reality TV show. And then it had a couple iterations after that. And, and he totally did not need a body bodyguard. Who knew like really? It's not like he was Dave Chappelle walking on McDougal Street. You know what I'm saying? It was Rob Deerdeck, which, yeah, he was a big pro skater, but probably didn't need a bodyguard, but created a great concept around it. Great TV, fun to watch. I mean, the difference between this six foot seven big black dude and this five foot six pro skater. It was just, yeah, it was really cool to see the so contrast. People, people love Rob, Rob yeah. big, but then life of Ryan was like, Oh, you know, it was like it was too emotional weird. and stuff yeah, exactly. like not uh, happy go lucky. But before I guess like Rob Deerdeck really came to the forefront, it just seemed like there were more so like skate vlogs and that was kind of like the grungy kind of jumping off of picnic tables, the stuff that you guys were probably doing, but like people would film it and then they'd release this uh, skate tape. What was the way that, skateboarders could make money like around the time that you were 13 years old were you like oh i want to go pro and skateboard you know, like i, I want to enter the contest i never wanted to go pro but i wanted to be good enough where i was you know had some sponsors You're had in, some, in thrasher the magazine yeah or just you know that i wasn't just another kid who skated i wanted to be good and i and we all got good me and my whole friend group um but the way i mean the way to make money was sponsors right uh it was board sponsors it was apparel sponsors around when I was coming up is really when the shoe sponsorship became huge because, you know, it was around the time that Nike put out the Janowskis. The Janowskis became one of the biggest shoes that Nike had beyond skateboarding. And people realized that the shoe sponsors are actually the ones who can make the most money, especially because right. of how things are filmed. Everything's so filmed. You were sponsored. Yeah. And everything's filmed everything's like low. right at the, yeah. Right at the shoes yeah. in the court. So yeah. you were sponsored or you were yeah, getting so free shit at one point. We, we, we had a, a, a skate shop who was our first sponsor. So we're we in Long Island, by the way, Port Washington. 
Okay. Dude, so I played uh, tennis pretty competitively for the most part, and I was out uh, in Port Washington. At the tennis right center. Around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Went there a bunch. We have our family friend uh, is the one who built it. Oh, Guy, yeah? Eric Kisslin from, uh, was from Great Night. Architect? No, he's just, he put up the money. His, oh, his kids were big tennis players. That's he's tight. like, we're it's, building. It's where John McEnroe played, and then they still have clinics there yeah. all the time, I'm sure. Um, yeah, but then the shoe sponsorships came in. Um, it was, a, that was kind of the end of the skate park era in a way. There was a, a video called fully flared. It was by a company called, uh, Lakai and it was yes, Spike Jones directed it. It was this monumental skate video. And then from there, things kind of started to change in the industry. It became, um, really obviously contest money went up, especially with street league, which Rob Deerdeck uh, uh, founded and it became kind of, and I think you know, with Supreme and, and Thrasher, it became kind of cool to be a skateboarder. So it started to have more of an influence on pop culture uh, from the Alien Workshop guys, uh, Dylan Reeder, who was a model, and uh, and this guy, Alex Olsen, who created a high fashion brand around skateboarding. So that kind of changed the industry. And, um, and then Instagram, of course, people just putting out clips, not wanting to, you know, go film full video parts. And so, you know, things kind of changed. But I, I always love it. I think I, I probably wouldn't be doing comedy if I did, hadn't skateboarded first. What? All right, we got to get to that transition. But I was in uh, Washington Square Park last yeah. night, and it, you just see kids from like ages eight to forty out there, just like doing tricks, jumping over cones and stuff. But how did you transition from skateboarding to comedy? And then I also want to, before I forget, I wanted to talk about why you think that there is such a craze behind like kids from 13 to 16 and some of them are really like insane and they can play at the professional level uh, for skateboarding yeah i mean it's pretty simple i think it's with any sport it's like your body's not beat up enough yet so you're willing to jump down crazier stuff bigger stuff and you know get broke off as we would call it getting hurt and um once you go through some gnarly injuries i broke my kneecap i broke my collarbone oh, stress fractured my kneecap. back Oy. So like after that stuff, you're like, uh, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And when you're younger, you know, and you're not, uh, you heal better and, and all these things, I think, you know, with any sport, right? I mean, who's uh, the, the Carlos Alcaraz, but he's yes, like, he's yes. 19 years old though. He's not, I mean, he wasn't at the top of the game though at 14, 15, 16. So I think skateboarding is a little bit different in that way. Well, I mean, there's not that, there's only a few like Nigel Houston, who's, you know, argu arguably the best and biggest skateboarder in the world. Right. You know, he he just was crazy. I mean, there's there's a few. There's only a few who really, you know, they're picked up at 10 years old. And, and then also maybe it's just like the connectivity between them being so small and then the board also. Right. Maybe there's something there. Yeah, I think it's just the getting hurt thing. You, yeah. you don't understand the repercussions as a kid. I didn't. When I was jumping off stuff and skating the way I was as a kid, I didn't care. I was just like. I don't care if I get hurt. It doesn't matter. Well, I'm yeah, a kid. Let's go, son. Right. And your friends are hyping you up. Yeah. 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 Yo, next try, bro. You did you guys, did you guys film stuff? Oh, I was, so, so I got my first camera when I was uh, 11 or 12 and I filmed my friends. They would film me. I edited all the videos and that's how I got into video and photos and all that stuff was through skateboarding, which now obviously. Uh, and then that led into comedy. I mean, you know, I, th I think for me, anything that I can do by myself, I usually get pretty good at. So skateboarding, you don't need a coach. You don't need someone telling you what to do. You find the way you want to skate. And then, you know, with the video and the photos, it was kind of a similar thing, right? Um, and uh, and it's kind of just been like that. Golf, I'm a good golfer. So I've like- been trying to get into it, man. Yeah, golf, golf is a- I played 18 holes for the first time in my life the other day. And I had I had like a few pars, a few bogeys, few and pars. then the rest like uh, doubles and triples. But yeah. we'll see, man. I look forward to going back out there. But the only thing is with golf is compared to skateboarding, it's like skateboarding, you land one trick and then you're good for the day. Golf, 18 holes, you're out there for Yeah, four but hours. It's, it's the same creativity, right? Like if I'm pay playing a par four or a par three, like I can hit, you have your own style. You can figure out how you want to get to the hole. It's all you. You get to make the decision of, do I want to, take driver do i want to hit three iron off the tee do i want to play this low and and kind of let it roll up do i want to hit a stinger. flop right a little stinger do i want to fade it into the hole do you watch golf on youtube at all 
I, I, I watched some highlights. I watched some of these uh, golf YouTubers, like Good Good Golf. I don't know, maybe you've no, heard I of it. They have like a few million subscribers, but like just kids who pro- played in college and there's like six of them and they have like good banter on the course. And that's like, for YouTube, probably one of the better things to get into because you just have three hour videos on right. there. <laughs> People yeah, are locked yeah, yeah. in, you know? Yeah, the uh, the girl I'm dating, her dad was a, a pro. Oh yeah, how yeah. good did uh, he? Yeah, was good. I mean he he was a he was rider. on tour. He was a Ryder Cup captain. Ryder Cup. Yeah. Wow. So, what does he think about live golf? He if we can I, get into that. I, I, listen, golf is his business. He's he's an announcer for the golf channel. Oh shit! So, so I'm not. I, I don't want to. All, all of a sudden, I'm getting a phone call yeah. like I don't want you dating what my daughter anymore. What did you say anymore. about live golf? Yeah. For those of you who don't know, what we're talking about live golf, Saudi Arabian funded golf yeah. uh, league. I guess that's competing with the PGA Tour. So. It's been a little, uh, it's been a little iffy, I guess, the past few months, and we'll see if it comes into places like tennis. And I think it really will have a strong hand in individual sports. Yeah, maybe something like skateboarding too. Like maybe. who knows? Maybe taking over the NBA, NFL. There might be a little bit too much money there, but hey, it's the Saudis. So yeah, we yeah. don't know. Yeah. We don't know Saudi money. We'll see, man. We'll see. So I had the transition into comedy. I don't know yeah, if we well, got into that. Well, um, so I ended up going to college. I started doing some sketch stuff in Where'd you college go to school? in Georgetown in DC. Okay. Um, Smarty pants. We yeah, like that. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, we did that. Uh, I would host my campus Snapchat stories. So for a while I was kind of just making funny videos for that. And, um, and actually when, when I graduated, I started doing slam poetry before comedy, but I, you know, I always had a camera in my hand. So I was always shooting, making little things and, uh, making little short films. And I started doing, uh, my big impetus was if I can write poetry and I can write comedy and I can perform them, I can make great films one day. And so that was kind of like the thought I started doing slam poetry and I was like, this is again, another individual thing. Slam poetry. What does that really entail? I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a com. You, I mean, you, people reference 21 drum street. If you've ever seen that kind of scene, but it's uh it's kind of a, a combination of poetry, spoken word, rap, you know, in one form. So people will go up at an open mic different than a comedy open mic. Cause it'll be actually filled out. There's also competitions, but, um, uh, yeah. And you just, whatever you're working on, you would, you would, uh, display. So I, I was doing that, but the, the community of slam poetry, I, I, I didn't like, I thought it was a place where people said you had free speech, but it was a lot of trauma dumping. It wasn't honest. So if people, you know, dump trauma, about their life and it was not a good poem people were still like you're so great you're so great oh this is and i'm like this is bullshit like it seems like spoken word right it is spoken word yeah i mean it's the same same thing basically and which is a weird concept if you actually title something that it's like people can just go up there and just do whatever they want they could just speak pretty much and 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 yeah and there was a lot of crap i mean there were some great poets as well but i just didn't like the the culture of it. I thought it was way too like, we're, we're proud of you for coming up and telling your story. And it's like, but it wasn't good. It wasn't good. We're proud and, of you for coming up here and speaking. Right. And I was like, nah, man. And, and I think it's also a thing where it's like, Oh, th- this is, um, this, you, you can say whatever you want, but really it's a very, I, I didn't feel like that at all. I felt like it was very constrictive of the speech, uh, that you can actually, if you got up there, not that I'm going to get up and start, you know, spewing conservative rhetoric, but if you, it's very, very liberal. So if you're not in that kind of realm, I don't think it's, they are very tolerant compared to comedy at least. And um, so, so that kind of pushed me away from that. That's when I started doing stand up and really focusing on the stand up world. Um, when did you stop skateboarding so seriously? I stopped when I went to college. Um, I mean, I, I never stopped. I still skate all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, once I went to college, I didn't have any friends to skate with. So I, you know, I'd still skate all the time I did by myself, but it, you, you lose that community of, uh, you know, uh, having other people to do it with and push you. Was there a point where you thought you wanted to do it professionally and like make money doing it? No, no. I, I, I always knew that it would just be too much on my body. It was too, sh- it would be too short lived and it just, it, it, it just seemed it was no, it's never. So I, I liked skating contests and I liked the adrenaline of that, but I never wanted to go pro. Where did you go for skating contests? Oh my God. They would have them in the city all the time. Sometimes we would travel. 
Um, do you have any old videos from you uh, skating that we course. can pop up right here? Yeah, let's course. go. We're popping <laughs> up right here. Hey, what's this trick that you're, you're doing right here? What's uh, what's some of the good tricks that you've done? Oh, like I, mean, I mean, back in the day, I that you have video of maybe that we yeah, can pop yeah, up yeah. right here. Um, so the ender. So so in skate culture, like the last trick is kind of your favorite trick. So the ender for my um, uh, for my skate park or, or, or my skate park, the full video we made sort of at the end of high school. Um, was a kickflip fast plant over this uh, spot called Blubba. It's right across from the courthouses in New York. Um, and it was sort of just a famous spot and had my own trick to do over it. And yeah, man, that was that, that was one of my favorite tricks. A fast plant? Yeah, kickflip fast plant. Dude, I don't know if I've ever heard of the so fast plant. You kickflip, yeah. you catch it with one hand, uh-huh. you plant your foot, yeah. There you go. You see it, it right here, right? But isn't a <laughs> isn't a kickflip more impressive though? No, I don't think so. It's not. I think this is more creative and original. And I was the first one to do it. Come on. What do you mean you were the first <laughs> one to do it? So, uh, in skate culture, the NBD never been done. That's especially if there's a famous spot that a lot of people have skated. It's in a lot of skate parks. Uh, skate parts. You want to go be the do your own thing that no one else has done. And so, I don't know if anyone's done it after, but I was the first one. Love it. To do that. And you guys just saw it right there. Here so, what, what was it like growing up Italian in Long Island? You know, uh, it, it's... Good childhood? It, it's weird, you know, there's... Because um, my, my, my dad's whole side of the family is very Italian, right? My dad grew up in Staten Island. Both my uh, grandparents were Italian immigrants. Um, and so, and my, my family still lives in Staten Island, so... It's very Italian, right? But me and my family, like we were Italian. I feel Italian, but I'm also feel just white. You know what I mean? I feel kind of detached from it. Not that I don't know about Italian culture. I love cooking Italian. I love going to my aunt's house and really feeling that Italian American experience. Yeah, make sure you clear that up. For but sure, I, for I'm your not. Aunt. I'm not talking like this. <laughs> so you know, it was. Uh, my mom's Jewish. My dad's Italian, and and. In our house, I, I don't know. I think we were just kind of white. <laughs> I was. You went to Port Washington High School. Yeah, yeah. What was that like? You know, I think it was more closed-minded than I realized at the time. Right? I think um, you didn't know any better because you know that's where you grew up and that was the reference circle that you had. But once I uh, moved to DC, met people from all around the world, traveled. I was like, wow. I mean, do you feel like Port Washington area was more conservative and then you went to Georgetown was way more liberal? It's, it's not that it was more conservative. Like what's something that they would be closed minded about? It's just I like and maybe it was just the time times thing. But like, you know, the LGBTQ community, like you had no reference to that, at, at, you know, where I went to high school. Yeah, maybe there was one or two gay people, but it was not, you know, something that you learned about, something you learned how to talk about and and learned how to understand you know and I, i've talked about this on other podcasts you know because I've, I've dated trans people and you know the process of even being able to understand what that meant about myself sexually you know for years was so confusing right because because of where i grew up and because of you know we didn't learn anything about that right and it was you know this is i went to high school 2009 to 2013 I mean, this wasn't, and maybe it just was a different time and it wasn't part of the conversation, but uh, yeah, man, you just weren't exposed, you were exposed to a, a lot of the same thing. And, um, and once I left and learned, you know, uh, you know, a lot of my friends from Georgetown were from Europe and Africa and the Middle East and, um, and just traveling to, you know, uh, see them in Europe or wherever and you know, living in New York City, uh, you just learn that, wow, this experience that I went through in high school was, where, where did you grow up? I grew up in the city. In the I city. So here. you, you know, you saw a lot of everything. Yeah, I dude, mean, I went to a performing arts high school. Yeah, dude. So you, it was just you, like, I, I was one of the only straight guys in my grade. There were probably five other straight guys, 20 gay dudes, and then right. 40 girls. Right. We There was no exposure to that. Yeah. In, when were you, So when were you exposed to the LGBT community? You know what? Community I, again, I've, so? t- I've talked about this on other uh, podcasts. I did a iHeart podcast with uh, a woman named Carmen uh, Laurent, and, and we talked about a bunch of this. And it's once, I, you know, I, I always, I thought I was going to be a startup guy when I was in college. So I, I, I studied a lot about that. I, I was working on companies. I would always download every app first. So I was 
early on the dating apps, like right when they came out. And as I was swiping through, I think at some point I matched with a trans person and I'm like, wait, what? Like, I didn't even like know. I didn't know anything about trans people. I didn't know anything about trans culture. I, I knew nothing. Right. And I'm like, this person's attractive to me, but I don't, does that make me gay? Like what, you know? And then as I had met a couple of trans people through meeting them on apps, it started to open my mind and like, help me learn about myself, if that makes sense. You when know? you thought about that, when you were thinking to yourself, like, am I gay? What was your next thought? No, that? no? I'm not. <laughs> I don't like men, dude. I'm not attracted to men. But, you know, and I, uh, especially Long Island people and, you know, or suburban people who I think, you know, it's a very hot topic of, but a lot of people are like, no, they're men, they're men, they're men. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't think so because I'm not attracted to men. And, you know, if it, I don't know, I just, I, from spending time around men, spending time around gay people and spending time around trans people, it's very different. And so like, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, I think it's, it's my, my only place is that I know I'm not gay because I'm not attracted to men. I'm attracted to trans women, but for me, that doesn't make me gay. It, you know, I, I say on stage that, I consider myself straight because I consider trans women women. And, um, and uh, you know, I think the term is probably transamorous. So. How's been the comedy career going? Um, How's it going? You know, I think slowly, slowly but surely. It's a, it's a. That's it, what they all say, man. Yeah, it takes a, time, you know. It, it takes time. I, you know, I always uh, look up to, to what you do because you, 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 you've been so consistent with your content making. Uh, over time, that, yeah. W when I first uh, met you with Shuey at the stand, at the stand, Schuster, where you at, kid? Um, you know, I think you get to know people over time, right? Over time, you see if someone's reliable, or or you, you just get to observe a pattern. And I, you know, I think you've just been making stuff constantly since I met you, and I think that's most people's problem is consistency. So that's something I. I I'm not sure how you do, and and I definitely look up to you for because I think the moment that you kind of pop off, when whenever the time and the things come together, you're gonna have such a backlog of stuff for people to watch through and you know really enjoy and get to know you, right? Which is, which is amazing. Um, but you know, I think for me, the comedy career, it's uh, you know, it's just a slow process of getting on mo more shows. I think I'm lucky. Um, a lot of people, I think, throw their own shows to be able to barter, barter spots, right? So uh, if, for anyone that doesn't understand, people will throw their own comedy show. They'll invite a friend to perform on the show who has their own show, and then they'll swap and perform on that person's show. So it's kind of this bartering system of getting more spots. I, I don't like to organize shows and do all that, but I, you know, I've had a camera since I was a kid, so... Um, what I've done is just say, hey, I'm, I'll take some pictures, I'll take some videos or whatever I need to do. Give me some some time. So High quality pics. Yeah, dude. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously. I remember that like when we met, I remember that was like one of the first things I was like, damn, this kid's in the mix at the cellar just taking great photos of comics that are some of the best in New York. Yeah, that, that took a while. I mean, that was the goal. When I first started doing, using my camera, I was like, the best place in the world to do comedy is the comedy cellar. It's legendary i've been going since i was young how do i get into this community in this yeah, place talk about that yeah i mean it just took it took a year it took a year of being a loser and going down there and loitering five days a week with no friends nobody knew me nobody gave a shit about me and i just would go down there and loiter like a loser <laughs> and you know thankfully a couple of the security guards ended up being super cool and saw me around enough. And I became friends with them, Brian and, um, and Steve who recently passed away. Um, and, and then I started becoming friends with the, the bar staff here and there. I would shoot a photo of a comedian outside without kind of being rude. I wanted people to see my face at the comedy cellar so much that they just thought I was part of that crew before I ask anyone to do any work for them. 
So that was about a year. And then f the first show I shot was Keith Robinson in uh, when he does a, an hour show at the Fat Black, uh, fat, the small room at the Fat Black Pussycat, which is part of the Comedy Cellar. And I, I asked him if I could shoot the show for him. He said yes. Um, shot that show. I, I was I was like, I'm going to take 2,000 photos. <laughs> I don't care. I'm going to get as many photos as possible. Uh, and then I kind of parlayed that into shooting uh, Jessica Kearson's hour there. And from, and then after that, who she's amazing and sweet and uh, just an awesome person. And then I ended up meeting Will and Saifa. I started shooting their Wednesday shows for, I don't know, maybe five, six, seven shows. I, I then filmed their, uh, uh, photographed their uh, special tape uh, recording. And then I met Artie Fuqua through them. And Artie just really... I can't say enough good things about Artie. Artie put me on. He took me, took me in, took care of me, you know, would have me around all the time, made sure he would not just introduce me as a photographer, but also a comedian and really uh, put me on at the comedy cellar. And that, you know, from there I, I got to know everyone, got to know all the staff and I, you know, it became a place where I really feel like I'm family. I can walk from, you know, uh, West third and six where the, the Village Underground and Fat Black Pussycat are over to McDougal and I'll run into 10 people, comics, security people, servers, and it'll feel like, uh, wow, I have a place in this, you know, beautiful place. Nice, dude. Do you ever take pictures otherwise? Like in nature and stuff? Yeah, of course. I know like, you know, like when I met you initially, you were taking some shots at, uh, well, I guess you were taking stand-up shots, but other type of um, yeah, photos? Yeah, so I, I've had two exhibitions on, on my photo work. Oh, let's go. Yeah. Like in a gallery? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, go, dog. The first one was called Icons of Mystique. Uh, I went down to an island called Mystique off of St. Vincent with a friend of mine. That's a fancy-ass island. A they fancy. have a huge marble house there. Pop it up right here. Did you see that marble house when you went down there? I mean, there's a bunch of huge yeah, houses. Well, <laughs> That's <laughs> true. Crazy. But I think this one marble house in particular, it's like, a, I think that it was for sale for like $300 million or something but in Mystique. But anyway. Yeah, no, ahead. Mystique is Insane a weird, it's, it's a weird place. Just, just because it's, it's this British, it's, you know, colonized British island. It's where all the, you know, kind of rich and famous of Britain go. I mean, from Queens to Boris Johnson and, you know, the whole, the whole lot. Um, so I went down there. My friend had a, had a house down there. He invited me during the pandemic. Right. And um, I ended up, you know, I brought my, my Hasselblad, which is an old four, four, um, six by six uh, medium format film camera. Dude, it's crazy how many cameras there are. There's so many. Yeah. I wish I had all Side of them. Note. <laughs> I wish I had all of them, yeah, though. Yeah, in good time. Dude, in good time. Camera sure acquisition, equipment acquisition syndrome, I have it bad. Um, but we were down there. And um, I ended up meeting uh, this woman named Allie Hilfiger. We start talking. You know, we're, I'm there for two weeks. I have nothing to do. And I'm like, yo, let's shoot a project. Let's make something. And she was like, let's do a portrait project. So me, her, and this, um, um, and this other uh, young woman from, um, from uh, Mystique kind of all partnered together and started working on a project. And we just started taking portraits of people on the island. We ended up taking, you know, a ton of portraits. We get back and within like a month, there was a big volcano eruption in St. Vincent. And um, that's a different island than Mystique? It, it, but it's, it's the neighboring island. It's really close. And a lot of the people who work on Mystique are from St. Vincent. And, but um, they don't connect, right? No, it's no, no. They're like two small. islands, but they're, they're really close. And the cultures are really close. And um, so we ended up putting the photos together, making a bunch of prints, putting them up in a gallery, selling them for... Um, for uh for for charity to help with that i think we raised like six around six grand which was cool as my first little show sold out all the prints which was which which was awesome shot one of my favorite photos which is i think will be my most valued photo at some point in you time. have it uh, i have you it. have a picture of it i do we pop can, it up we right can, here we again pop it up on the yeah, screen we got a few things to pop up and um so yeah that was that and uh side note we ended up i think the coolest part of the trip the, do you know who brian adams is the country music singer the singer okay, yeah okay, yeah okay no Summer not really 69 nah. oh know. so he's an older type singer yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. we, we paddleboarded with him and <laughs> he has this crazy sick house that's right on the water it was insane 
pop it up. Have you <laughs> have you ever been to St. Bart's? Yeah, I went once. Okay, so what do you think is sicker then, Mystique or St. Bart's? Because those are two arguably the sickest places in the entire world, I think. St. Bart's, okay, so Mystique is this like private, you know, I mean, they're both luxury. They're both like rich and famous places. St. Bart's to me feels like it has a real kind of ingrained culture. That's, it feels old. It feels, I mean, it's French. I think it's a French. Uh, yeah. But it, it, but it just, it's beautiful. I, I like it there more. I, Mystique is, you know, this, this kind of created Island from, you know, nothing almost with this architecture that doesn't match because everyone can build whatever kind of house they want to yeah, build. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and it's, it's, uh, I, I, I enjoyed both, but I, I think St. Bart's. Yeah. You got to check out both of those places, guys. Check the wallet, make sure you got enough cash money. Find Sometimes, some friends. Yeah. Yeah. Or find some <laughs> friends. Sometimes bro. Okay. So my boy was dating this girl and I had introduced them and their family, her family rented a yacht during Christmas. So for like five nights and we docked next to P Diddy and the rate for that yacht, bro, was easily 500 cat. Easily a hundred thousand a night. So it was fresh. Good little experience. I got too drunk and I didn't go to P Diddy's New Year's party on the yacht next to us, but I'd like to think that in the future I'll meet P. Diddy and I'll tell him that story. He'll be like, What? You was on the yacht next to us and you didn't even come party? Yes. I, I feel like that's the weird you know, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I've always been in proximity to wealth. I mean, my dad, you know, came from nothing, became a real estate finance guy, made a lot of money. Um, but to me, like growing up, getting 20 bucks from my parents was like killing it, right? Like I was like, bro, I got 20 bucks for Always. the day, yeah, yeah, yeah. dude. Are you kidding me? Then I went to Georgetown and, and met a lot of the European friends that I have. And they went out and spent $1,000 in a nightclub at night. <laughs> Easy. And, and, I, and I'll, I'll tell one of my close friends, I'll tell him this. I'll be like, dude, like. I thought I was killing. I was getting 20 bucks a day. He's like, well, you always try to pretend that you were like so poor and this. I'm like, no, dude, that was rich. What were some of the clubs that you were going to? In DC? Yeah, because I dated a girl at GW and I visited probably like eight times. Yeah. So dude, I was going was... out to some of those nights and I'd see her like at other guys' tables. I'd be like, oh, I wish I could spend $2,000 on the table. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. I don't, there was... um. Dude, I don't even know. Yeah, I'm remember. trying to freaking remember <laughs> them. Because it's definitely gospel. Gospel, maybe? Yeah, there was one? there was a downstairs little Yeah, it was this downstairs little spot. Yeah. Uh but gospel is not gospel in New York. There was a gospel there. I right? think so. Yeah. I hope or, that I'm not mistaken no, for New I York think, City. Because no. there is one in New York City yeah, too. The, no, I think it was called something. No, I don't remember, dude. I, I, I never cared much to Yeah, like, but anyway, like Georgetown and GW, probably some of the richest kids yeah, who I would mean, go to those schools. And these kids would crazy. spend easily a thousand dollars on a night, get a table. At, at 18. And then they yeah, and then they'd buy a bottle for four hundred bucks. And, and wow. it was just crazy to me. And and again, he would always make fun of me. like even to this day, just like, oh, you pretend you were so poor. I'm like, dude no you don't understand <laughs> that was rich yeah i thought i was killing it yeah and it wasn't until i met you guys that i realized like oh and and especially doing comedy right uh, like we both do it, it's it's because i you know i have you know a little bit of money saved up and from you know working until you know i was doing this full time and then obviously just shooting photos and doing a lot of production stuff to to supplant but like it's just weird to be in proximity to wealth but not be personally wealthy or you know it's it, it we're on a different path than a lot of i mean at least a lot of the people i went to school with they're bankers they're lawyers they're you know doing you know private equity that's the, their world they're getting paid you know a couple hundred thousand two three four hundred thousand yeah, a year i know kids like that of course do you have friends from college though that love what they're doing in a field like that or they look yeah. to you and they're jealous no i i definitely have friends who love what they're doing but they there's a compromise well, and yeah with their flexibility i'm the sure flexibility right? and and i think you know the real you know the idea of pursuing a passion as your life i think people give up They'd rather have some more safety and they'd rather have less flexibility and, and, you know, be able to, you know, think about other things. Like I, I'm not thinking about a family. That's not something I think about. I think about how good of a comedian can I be? Who, who's the first person who's going to let me direct their special? Who, you know, 
will my pilot get picked up for this TV show? You know, how do I finance this movie? How do it's I... It's a completely different mindset. And, and so the idea of having, you know, big savings and, you know, saving up for a family and being able to provide for them, it's just so far from the realm of where I am and what I think about. And for them, I think that's, you know, the sacrifice they make and they like what they do, but they, you know, they have these other priorities. Yeah, everyone's making a sacrifice. Right. You know, people say that the salary is the drug they give you to forget your dreams. But right. I don't know if that's fully true. If people if people want to have a family, that's part of their dream. Exactly. You know, and to have a family with a wife and kids, you're gonna need money coming in, you know, every few weeks. Of course, of course. How do you how does that how do you feel about that? Especially because you, I, I, you know, I'd watch some stuff. I, you did real estate, or you yeah, still do so, maybe a little yeah, bit. Yeah, well, I worked in real estate in my dad's company for six years. Yeah. I don't uh, for the past two and a half years, I've just been doing Ted Jones World stuff full time. But same, it was same same thing. Yeah, it was same. definitely it was definitely a, a full change, you know, because I was making around eighty thousand dollars a year. Things were expected to go a certain way then maybe in 15 years i take over the company right and the people who i was around that's what they were all kind of expecting from me so in the last two and a half years it's very different you know like i'm pursuing comedy i'm pursuing vlogs podcasts sketches um stand-up comedy but it, it was just things were things were different from what i expected what other people expected so there's a, been a lot of change-ups you know people yeah. that i hang out with all the time are not the same people that i was hanging out Completely. with two and a half years ago and that that's one of the sacrifices too right that, yeah, you're gonna lose a lot of people that expected a different thing out of you that were comfortable with uh, the certain way that yeah. you are how how did your dad feel about he's super supportive both my Good. parents very supportive uh, my family are some of the mo more supportive people of my career which is which is great you know you don't people don't always get that right um totally. but like my grandma wanna probably listens to the podcast more than anyone or has listened to every single episode and we appreciate that grandma what's Shout up out. how you doing but um it's been good dude and having a supportive family been great you know have some supportive friends obviously but there are some friends that i thought that i would be tight with for the rest of my life kids that were making speeches at my bar mitzvah and kids who i just don't talk to anymore yeah. you know yeah. but that's that's part of it. It, it, it the biggest that was one of the biggest changes i had to make when really saying this is what i'm gonna do how it, old how old were you at that point this was like two and a half years ago so i was you know um what 25 I'm 28 now, so it was like around 25 and a half, 26, and I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And from then, over the last couple of years, the process of personally just not being able to spend time with my friends as much, I mean, it's, it's a priority for me not to spend time with them because I know any time I dedicate to spending with them is time that I should be down at the comedy cellar shooting photos, you know, at, at, whatever, at a friend's show writing doing any of that stuff and not that i won't ever see them but it's just I, I had to make the decision of like if it's not now when yeah because no one's standing there to be like here here it is no you see some of these people in the comedy world they hustle man they're at every show they go to every show they meet everybody and and the people that i've seen hustle around the most are the ones who start getting a lot of spots and getting a lot of stage time because they're at every show, they meet everyone, their face is always present. And, you know, that's, uh, yeah, that's kind of almost how you have to be, right? I mean. Did you separate yourself from skateboarding? No, skateboarding is always, I skate everywhere I go and I try to skate, like, actually skate, skate at least once a week. Nice. Um, but that's just, you know, if you, you look like you work out. So if you work out, you know, it's that's just part of the mental <laughs> rehab of staying uh um staying in a good mindset to be able to do all the things that you you need to do yeah you're do. talking about doing all the things right that um you know one should do to further their career it's like i have a like one of my best friends from growing up he had a girlfriend from age 16 to 22 then another girlfriend from 22 to 28 and then just for the past like three and a half years i was like dude then then they just broke up um, and he kind of feels lost just cause he's been in a relationship for right. the past 15 years. So I was like, dude, take some time for yourself to figure out what's going to fully make you happy and don't jump into the next relationship. Right. Cause so many guys will just waste so many years chasing women. Like dude, all my twenties, I was going out 
probably two dates a week. I was promoting clubs and right. I was just chasing tail. Yeah. You know, and, and, which and, can be fulfilling, but also yeah. if it doesn't work out, it's uh, distracting. Yeah. And I, but I, I get, you know, the, your friend who's like relationship to relationship. I think it's easy, you know, to just have someone that's there. Even if it's not the right person, you're like at least someone. Yeah. She's good enough. Right. She's good for enough. time frame. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, th- I think especially as you get older and you realize, you know, life is, can be lonely life can be this kind of thing on repeat just over and over again um to have someone there that you feel like loves you and supports you that's not just your parents um or you know you know a, a friend uh, you know i think it, it's meaningful but you can waste a lot of time with with, <laughs> with the wrong people did you have any relationships like that growing up <sighs> I've, been, I've had a few relationships, but I wouldn't say any of them were like that. I think I had a relationship where I felt like I knew it wasn't going to work from early on, but I wanted, you know, I had this mantra in my head of this is an adult relationship. What would an adult do in an adult relationship? And that would kind of justify you know, whatever needing to make it work, right. Or or putting in the effort and you know, you have to compromise and you have to go (laughs) out here and turns out it was just the fucking wrong person. This is in in college or recently? No, this is like a few years ago. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I had a situation like that too, but I think I'm a man. I mean, bro, all the relationships that I was in probably. Right. Cause like ultimately it didn't work out and you have like a hunch. So we'll see when that connection comes and like, I'm like, all right, this is the person. Because, I mean, people get married. Right. You know? People get married and people don't get divorced. But maybe, you know, less so now. So let me ask you, of all the stuff that you're, you're working on, the podcast, stand-up, sketches, uh, what what's the thing that you feel like, uh, the on-the-street stuff, what's, what's the thing that you really feel is, like, uh, I mean, just that you just love the most of those things? What's the thing that really... Um. Dude, I don't, I don't know if I could put like one really above the other, but I, I do like the process of shooting a vlog and then putting all the clips together and making the story. I really enjoy the process of writing a sketch in 20 minutes, shooting it in an hour and a half, and then editing it for another five hours. Like right. that whole process right there and how I'm able to kind of just do it. Uh, for the most part, off the top of my head, I really enjoy because I like seeing how those things come together. But... um I think, dude, I don't know. It's a good question. It's just the combination. Yeah. I I like doing all of it. Combination. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all, you know, all related. And I like, I'm sure people will be like, oh, you're doing too much. You need to focus. And it's like, I'm good, dude. I got it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I got this. Yeah. That's how I feel. Right. Right. Yeah. The, uh, and it's good, man. Cause I think a lot of people have, um, overcomplicate things in their brain and it makes them not do the things that they should or want to do. They think it has to either be too perfect or too planned, or too whatever it is. And, um, you know, that's what I said. Like, part of the thing I respect about you is you just go out and make the stuff, and you put it out there. And you're not afraid. It doesn't seem like you're afraid to put out who you are, what vision you have of whatever sketch or idea that you're working on. And I think it's a paralyzing thing in uh, the the comedy industry. Yeah. You know, one of the guys I um, uh, got to open for uh, and tour with a little bit. I was talking to him about clips and, and, um, he got big off of his clips and, you know, I was touring the country and, and he said to me, you know, until you're 10 years into stand up, I wouldn't put up any clips. I wouldn't put up any clips of yourself. You just need to grind it out for 10 years. And then you can worry about, will I grow and tour and this and that. And I was like, I feel you. I understand where you're coming from. But I also just don't agree. And also that person, <laughs> I don't know who it is, but I would assume that person is probably ha- has like good amount of years on you. You know, that person oh, probably yeah. 20, 25 years older. Nah, he, he's in his, he's in his mid thirties. Okay. Um, but it's still, it's still, it's a different time, man. The it, last five to seven time. years, it's, it's a different time. I don't know if you watch Kill Tony, yeah, um, a little but, bit. but uh, Cam Patterson, right? Like he's two and a half years into stand up. He goes on. He's, he's my dog, by the way. Love him. He murders on Kill Tony, and he's touring the country right now, just you know, eating it up. And 
And it started from a few clips. And and I can't, there's no way I can look at that guy and be like, oh, he's only two year, two and a half years into comedy, blah, 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 this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, that guy has a voice. He knows what his voice is in comedy. Why shouldn't I? I, I, I feel sometimes like the world of comedy doesn't think you deserve to make money off your comedy until you have a certain amount of experience. And that's bullshit. I, I think anybody who puts effort into growing in any industry deserves to be paid for their work. Even if it's not great, you deserve to be paid for your work. I mean, I know it's harder in New York. There's a lot of competition. There's a lot of shows you do for free. But as a concept, I think everyone should be paid for their time. I think one of, the, one of the first instances of this where other comics are like, what? This guy's not even that good. He hasn't been doing it that long. How does he have this much pull? It was Dane Cook. Like when he was selling yeah. out MSG, yeah. there was a lot of backlash from comics being like, this guy's not even funny. Well, he's not doing the clubs and now he could just go sell out MSG, but it's because he had a voice. It's he had a voice and people liked him. Like the, one of the things that you lose when you do a lot of open mics and you're working on your craft is that the comics are not your audience. We're not, we're oversaturated with comedy. I've seen, I still laugh. I love to laugh. I love to watch other comics, but we're jaded, Right. We think things are hacky or this or that or whatever they might be, but it does not matter. It just matters if the people in whatever segment of your audience it is enjoys it. And that's it. That's it. They, they, this is an individual art form, okay? It doesn't matter if another comic thinks you're funny or not, if the industry thinks you suck or not. If the fans like you and feel like you resonate with them, that's all that matters, this is not a group art form. This is an individual art form. And if there's an audience for you that likes your shit, then fuck everybody. Yeah, else. dude. Fuck yeah, dude. Well it's, said. It's true. It's, it's true, man. Uh, but there's, you know, because there's, uh, you've probably experienced it. There's, in New York, there is some weird groups of comics, man. There's some weird groups of comics who are not supportive. They don't want to see you succeed. They don't think you're funny. They don't think you deserve anything that you have. And it's like, fuck you guys. What are, you, what are you concerned with me for? There's enough room for everybody. There's more than enough room for everybody to find their own niche audience, be able to make money and a career out of this. I mean, I don't know if you've come across these no, people. No, I, I, see I them definitely all the time. have. We, I, we definitely fucking have. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think uh, people sometimes are just worried too much about what other people are freaking doing. And especially now, you know, when everybody has their own social media page, everyone has the ability to get seen by a booker out in L.A. Right. Like we're all we're on our all our own on our own journey, like skateboarding, man. Freaking golfing out there, hitting the hole in one. Okay, you don't need anybody else to hit the hole in anybody one. Anybody else? You need to clean what nine iron, right? Well, it depends on the hole. <laughs> exactly, dude. Yeah. Depends on the hole. So, what do you see yourself doing in the future, comedy wise, maybe photo wise? I mean, uh, the skateboarding, thing, bro. I don't know about this. I would love to c commentate on on like uh, some skateboarding stuff. At That'd some be point. tight. Rob, but, reach out. Yeah. Rob Deerdeck. Um, but no, I think, you know, I think the, my vision, I think the career path that I admire the most is, uh, Ricky Gervais. He gets to go make TV shows and movies, you know, a kind of Ricky Gervais, Seth MacFarlane mix where they get to go make TV shows and movies and, and all that stuff. But then Ricky can go sell out a theater and do a stand up. you know? So, I mean, the things that I see, I, I have a show in development with Amazon right now. So, uh, oh. Fingers crossed that they actually fund the show to life. Um, so that's that's exciting. Um, so hopefully getting that show or another show or a movie. Love it. Mickey, dude, thanks so much for coming on the yeah. pod. We got to get you on a Ted Jones comedy show very soon. All right. Come. Anytime love you want to have Guys, me. thanks so much for listening and tuning in. I noticed that the goddamn camera just gave out, but no worries. You guys got all this episode. We'll see you guys next time. Peace. Peace.